Well, hey, it is good to have you all here in worship this morning. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, uh, or uh, the Bible that's provided in the pew rack in front of you can use. And in the East Auditorium, I know there's some folks walking around with some Bibles you can use. And uh, as you turn there, just something maybe out of curiosity that I get asked quite often, maybe you've wondered, um, you know, with pastors and church staff working on the weekend, so to speak, we're here Saturdays and Sundays, um, I get the question, so when, when do you guys like take your day off? And Typically, um, while it's not true for all of us, for the most part, we take our day off on Fridays. And so this past Friday was my day off, and uh, my wife Jessica was uh, teaching, substitute teaching, and the kids were in school, so I was kind of on my own, which could be a scary thing to cut me loose on the community, uh, just wandering around. And um, it was one of those days where, uh, as I was cutting loose on the community, just enough consecutive things went wrong that it was just kind of about halfway through. You ever have these days where it's like, you know what, I should probably just stop moving, and just wait for the next day to come, you know, just to ensure that nothing else goes wrong. And so it was kind of one of those days. And so I had a few errands to run in that I took, uh, I've got this old forerunner. I thought, you know, I need to at least get like the salt washed off. So I just did like the like $5 rinse off thing and uh, kind of took care of that. Then I had to get some shaving cream at Walmart. Uh, so I could look awesome for you guys today. And uh, so I go to Walmart, get uh, shaving cream. And also I was going to get a, like a cube of Dr. Pepper. It's like the pop we drink at our house. And so just two things. And it's hard to go into Walmart and get just two things. So I leave the cart behind to help ensure that this reality would be mine. And so I get my shaving cream, I head to uh, get the pop, and I find that the 12 packs of Dr. Pepper are actually cheaper than the 24, like per can. You ever notice, like, usually buy in bulk, you're better off, but in this case, it was like a sale, so I'm like, sweet, so I get... You know, why don't I get extra? So I get four 12 packs of Dr. Pepper with no cart. And so I kind of go like the whole like live long and prosper approach. And I get two fingers into each, you know, 12 pack. And I'm kind of like, you know, kind of barbarianing my way down, you know, the Walmart aisles. And I, you know, I do the self checkout. So, you know, snappity quick. And I'm making the turn in front of customer service when all of a sudden one of the 12 packs front just completely blows out and cans are like flying. It's amazing how far a Dr. Pepper can can roll on a Walmart floor. And so it's just like, seriously, you set the cans down. I'm, I'm like scooping them up, trying to catch them, chase them. One of the sales associates, you know, starts helping me pick up cans. And as she's helping me pick up cans and I'm starting to pick up a can, the shaving cream, which I did pay for, but decided I didn't need a bag and shoved in my pocket, uh, fell out of my pocket in front of the associate, which didn't look shady at all. Um, so I get my shaving cream, getting the pops. One other associate says, let me go get you another one. So she goes and gets another 12 pack. And then this other little old lady from around customer service, I mean, pretty witty, like just obviously to make fun of me, comes around, she says, you're making fun of the fact of me carrying my pop with my finger, says, why don't I get you a cart there, Superman? <laughs> <laughs> So I've got my card, I've got my new 12-pack of Dr. Pepper, and I've got my shaving cream in the card. And it's obviously one of those moments you can't get out of Walmart fast enough. So I'm like speeding my way out the door. But apparently, the pace at which I would like to exit Walmart does not meet the pace at which these sliding glass doors are able to open. I don't know if it was the cold weather or what the deal is, but it kind of like stops halfway, and I cram and wedge my car between them. And the doors that normally go like this, one of them goes like this and flails off the, the so I'm pulling the cart and I'm like pulling this door, trying to get it back on its track. I've got a line of people behind me, finally wedge my way out of Walmart, get to my car thinking, let me just get out of here as fast as I can, go to open up my hatch on my old 4Runner, which is now frozen shut because of the car wash and the rain and the negative 117 degree weather. And it's at that point that I decide 
I think I'm just gonna sit down here in the aisle of Walmart and just wait for tomorrow to come because I think I'm safer here in Walmart parking lot than I would be trying to drive anywhere. So one of those days, I decided at that moment, I'm at least gonna get a sermon illustration out of this. And so to commemorate my Freaky Friday, here's a little selfie right after that moment for you. So. And so the reason I share this is because I think for some of us, the, the, the Friday that I had a couple of days ago maybe serves as a metaphor for what perhaps your whole 2017 felt like, you know, just one thing after another. And they, maybe by like the beginning of November, you were like, could I just like close my eyes and wake up at the beginning of January and just kind of start this whole deal over. And, you know, that's, that's really what a new year is. That's uh, this is what we are right now. It's the first weekend we're here together going into the new year. And it is this, could say, like a socially reinforced built-in reset that we all accept as this is where the fresh starts take place. And so maybe you've got some, maybe some resolutions that you've made kind of as fresh starts going into this year. Maybe it comes in the form of like a stop doing. Sometimes it's like a stop doing thing. Like I'm going to stop spending so much time on social media. Or I'm going to stop accruing debt this year. Or, you know, I'm just going to stop drinking pop because I don't want to have those moments in Walmart, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, Maybe it's in the form of a start doing. Maybe you're going to start going to the gym or you want to maybe try to take on reading a book a week uh, or maybe start some sort of new hobby in your life. And so whatever it is that you've got kind of heading your way going into the new year, uh, one of the things that um, we want to keep in mind or probably the thing we want to keep in mind that if we would say for the most part here today, if Jesus Christ is the Lord and the leader of your life, well, then he is the one that we want, you know, authoring above all those kinds of plans, goals, commitments, habits, you know, <laughs> things that we want to shift going into the new year. Uh, in fact, that's, that's really what God does. That's who our God is. He is in the business of transforming us, transforming our lives. And so, when it comes to how do we make happen the intersection of what God wants to do in our life with what it is that we actually plan to do in our life, uh, you could say it, it, it operates this way, kind of a formula, that we see that God constantly works in our lives by having us look back, look up, and then look forward. We are to look back, look up, and then look forward in the sense that we want to look back to determine, okay, what got us to what reality is now? What got us here? What in 2017 or prior um, kind of paved the way to make today the reality that we have? And then whatever that is, for better or for worse, we want to then, we want to, we want to look up, we want to seek his will and his ways for the intersection of what we want to do in our lives so that we might then move forward in our lives uh, to obedience and following whatever it is that the Lord has laid out in front of us. And so we started this series last week called A New Thing, where we looked at the uh, uh, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. It's a popular verse, but it falls in the middle of really a pretty rough looking back for the Israelites, God's people. They had rebelled and sinned against God. And so, you know, God says, hey, look up at me. And this is what God says. Uh, he says, forget the former things. Leave those behind. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way, a new way in the wilderness and, in, and making streams in the wasteland. 
So in the face of trouble, basically it's a call for God's people in the Old Testament to not look to earthly ways, to not, in this case, they were gonna align themselves with some enemies in order to try to protect themselves. They don't trust with alliances with enemies, trust in me and moving forward, follow me alone, don't worship idols and, uh, and, and let me be the Lord your God in everything moving forward. So that's what we looked at last week, trusting for God's deliverance. And so that's essentially the recipe that we see not only in Isaiah, uh, but really story after story throughout God's word that really makes up the ultimate story of God's word and more specifically to us, the kind of story God wants to write in our lives. He wants us to always be mindful of looking back. What does he want to do with that as we look up and then encourage us and move us by the power of his Holy Spirit looking forward. And so we're gonna do that uh, here today in Colossians chapter three. It's a great passage that really paints that looking back, looking up and looking forward. In fact, we're actually gonna kind of do a dig deep approach and uh, take this section of scripture both this week and next week as to what does it look like for us to look back, look up and look forward for what God has. Essentially to do, it's kind of the, the theme verse in Colossians. It says, you have taken off the old self with its practices and you're putting on the new self. And so Colossians 3 paints what that looks like. So I wanna invite you to read along with me, uh, starting in verse one. Colossians chapter three says this, starts off. This is Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church of Colossae, which is now us as the church, an encouragement to us to focus on his ways rather than the ways of the world. It says this, since then you have been raised with Christ. Now I'm gonna do a quick pause even before we read any further because anytime, this is important, anytime you pick up a passage of scripture, essentially in the middle, I mean, we didn't just read one and two, we were starting in chapter three and it has that word since. And essentially what it's saying that we're not gonna start off saying, okay, you wanna live a new kind of life, do this, don't do that. It's not starting with a list of do's and don'ts. It starts with, it says, since or because of essentially the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You have been raised to a new life with Christ. And so often, and this is a good time out, this is the missing piece that stumbles us up in our Christian faith. It's actually caused people to walk away from the faith that you say, oh, you know, the Christian faith, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not. It is an overflow of what Christ has done in the gospel, what he has done for us and forgiveness of sin and rescuing us from the consequences of those sin and raising us to a new life that then out of the overflow of this reality, live this way, do these things, don't do these things, okay? And so chapters one and two are all about that reality, how Christ has raised us to a new kind of life because of what he's done. And so it goes on from there. Since this is the reality, he says in verse one continued, set your heart on things above. Essentially look up. Set your, th- your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, looking up again, for you died and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And you say, okay, wait, I died, what does that mean? Well, essentially it's quoting Jesus who said that if you want to save your life, if you wanna find life, then you have to die to yourself, die to you leading your life and raise to a new kind of life where I'm leading it. C.S. Lewis says it this way, he says, a rejection or in scripture's strong language, a crucifixion of the natural self is the passport to everlasting life. Nothing that has not died will be resurrected. Okay, and so 
putting off the old self, putting off the natural self, putting that to death is how we make way for a new way of life. You can't have them both. You gotta put this to death in order to move on to the new thing. To which it says in verse four, when Christ, who is your life, so basically this is now the new definition of your life, Jesus Christ, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. And so he's, he's changing you to be more like him. Goes on, this is what this new life now looks like. Verse five, put to death. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is also idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Look, you used to, okay, looking back, you used to walk in these ways in the way that you once lived, but now, say now let's look forward, you must rid yourselves of all these things, such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. Okay, so here's the new thing, the new self, which is being renewed. Okay, and that's like a present perfect tense in the Greek there. It's basically saying it's an ongoing process. It's being renewed. You're being renewed in Christ in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Okay? And so as we read uh, the first section of uh, Colossians chapter three, we see that the big takeaway here when it comes to looking to the new thing that God wants to do, it starts with putting off the old self. It starts with uh, putting off uh, sin and its practices, that in order to do the new thing, we have to put off the old thing, the stuff of sin and all of its practices, to which you could say, okay, all right, that's pretty clear. Stop sinning. And isn't it just as simple as that? Oh, there's sin in your life? Well, stop it. Thanks, that's really helpful. Uh, so obviously we recognize there's a little more to it than just saying stop it, but the challenge lies in how it is we take on that little more to it, how it is we take on stopping sin in our lives. To help us break that down, uh, theologian and author Dallas Willard notes how often when it comes to sin in our lives, we approach it, he says, from a, you could say a management perspective that we try to manage sin in our lives rather than rooting it out at its core. That you could say we try to keep sin under control. He illustrates it this way. Um, maybe you've had one of those little like, kind of like cheap puzzles that it's like a maze uh, with all like these little like marble BBs that roll around. And the goal of the maze is actually it's got these little like divot holes all throughout the maze. And the, the goal is to try to get all the marbles in their place without, you know, any of the other ones shifting. It's like you finally get, you know, you think the last one and then two others pop out. We said, that's what it's like when we try to manage our sin, to try to keep it under control. It's like trying to get all our little sin marbles just in the right place. And just when we think we've got the last one, you know, two other sins or temptations pop up. And then really it goes on to say that even if you do manage to get all your sin marbles under control, you know, for a period of time, Jesus will then reveal to you, oh, by the way, here's some marbles that you forgot even existed. It's like, okay, what does that look like? Well, it's the case uh, for a situation for a young man that's called the rich young ruler in scripture, if you're familiar with that story in Luke chapter 18. If you're not, essentially, uh, this young man goes to Jesus and says, okay, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus responds, keep all the commandments. And the young man replies confidently, I have kept all these commands since I was a boy. Essentially saying, hey, Jesus, look, I got all my marbles in place. 
Check it out. And Jesus responds this way. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And so Jesus identifies this, this idol in his life that he has made greater than him and he goes away very sad. And so you see, even when we think we've got our marbles in place, we've got to understand that an encounter with Jesus Christ of any kind, we should never encounter Jesus, try walking away from an encounter with Jesus, feeling proud about our righteousness. Instead, every encounter that we have with Jesus should leave us thankful for his forgiveness. That's the bottom line of the Christian faith. It's not to get to the place where you've got it all figured out and you've got all your marbles in place and, and somehow being proud about your, what you can do or your righteousness. No, that's not the through line of the Christian faith. The through line is the reality that we always will have sin in our lives. We'll never get this figured out fully and to find it and then to, then to find the forgiveness in Jesus Christ and walk away being thankful for what he has done, not for what we can do. In the book of Psalms, it says it this way, when we kind of search out the marbles, it says, search me, God, and know my heart. See if there is any offense, offensive way within me. Essentially, dig out the marbles that I don't even know exist, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. Okay? And so that's what we want to move. We want to move from identifying sin in our life and getting to moving in the way of everlasting. And so we want to look back, look up, and look forward when it comes to dealing with, this is kind of our aha for the day out of this part, is how do we deal with sin in the old self in order to make way for the new self? Everyone loves when we talk about sin. It's such a fun topic at church. Okay, so first, number one, we gotta look back and we have to first identify sin. We've gotta identify the sin that's in our life. And so for some, these are more obvious than other scriptures say. say they're obvious, they're, they're more self-evident. Maybe they were triggered by that list in Colossians 3. You know, you struggle maybe with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, or greed, which essentially could be translated covetousness, uh, which is wanting something that someone else has that you don't have to an unhealthy level. Um, verse eight goes on, anger, rage, malice, or sometimes translated malicious behavior, uh, slander, which is essentially just talking bad about anyone for whatever reason, uh, filthy, or sometimes translated abusive language, uh, and then verse nine, of course, lying. And so these are the kinds of sins that are maybe more obvious, and you see, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to look far for my marbles that I'm struggling with. Uh, but for some, maybe you do have to dig a little deeper. Maybe there are a couple, maybe a, a couple of marbles hiding um, in what you could call uh, idolatry. It says here that these sins are idolatry because essentially here's what sin is. It's uh, sin is taking away or choosing a way that's different or above God's ways. That's what idolatry is. That's what sin is. It's choosing a way over God's ways. But the truth is it doesn't have to be a blatant sin in order to qualify for idolatry because essentially anything by definition that you put ahead of God in your life is by definition idolatry. For example, for this, um, some of you might remember um, a number of years ago, there were some t-shirts that were pretty popular uh, that um, it would have like on like the heading, it would have some sort of sport or activity like, you know, dance or hunting or hockey or football or volleyball. And it would say, you know, something like this, like for, it would say um, with like a volleyball, say like ripping out of the shirt and have like this, like the shirt's like tearing. It's kind of this cool graphic. And then it would say, volleyball is life. Everything else is just, does anyone remember it? 
Details, details. Volleyball or hunting or whatever. Hockey is life and everything else is just details. And, you know, fair enough if you're like all in on some sort of sport or activity, but really, if that statement is truth for you, well, then we have a problem because it says, as we just read in verse four of Colossians three, that your life, Jesus Christ, is your life. Christ is to be your life and everything else is to be just details. And so, if you were to have to answer that question honestly, if you had to wear a shirt that say maybe represented 2017, blank is life and everything else was just details, how would you fill in that blank? What would your shirt say? Maybe for you, if you're honest, you'd say, you know, this past year, career advancement was life and everything else was just details. Maybe for you, it's maybe not about the career. Maybe it's about the financial portfolio. You worry and stress and give all your energy towards where your money is going. And it's, 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 it just consumes you. And you might say that, you know, money is life and everything else is just details. For others, um, you know, I see this sometimes around the New Year's. There's obviously people who are trying to maybe set some health goals or some fitness goals. But then there's some among us who are like, they've just got that like so figured out. It's like they're kind of maybe almost a little smug and proud. Like, man, I don't need to worry about that because fitness is life and everything else is just detail. So maybe, um, you know, a good thing has become an ultimate thing. Or I saw, I was searching that like phrase, blank is life, you know, everything else is just details a little bit this morning on my phone. And there was this one, it was like this little Hallmark meme. It said, you and me is life. Everything else is just details. I thought, well, that's cute and all, but I've seen romantic relationships become the ultimate relationship over people's relationship with God. So anything that we place ahead of God is idolatry. And so recognize it might not be at first blush a bad thing. We're not saying career or money or fitness or relationships are intrinsically bad. These things are actually good things. They can be blessings. But anytime a blessing or a good thing becomes our ultimate thing, our life, that which we live for, then we have slipped into idolatry and we have made the mistake of making something else life and sadly Christ and God in the details. And this should not be. And so as you dig around, what are the idols? What are you giving energy and attention and your life to above that of God? Maybe for you it's you know, social media. You, know, you spend a ton of time and you know, say, I don't got time to you know, get in God's word and go to a small group. And it's like, well, judging from your uh, activity online here, it seems like you got plenty of time to do some other things. Uh, maybe recognize that that's something you need to give attention to. Or maybe for you, you, know, you don't have the shirt that's like football is life or basketball is life anymore, but maybe a particular sports team is like life for you. Like everything rises and falls on that schedule. Uh, I remember I had a buddy in uh, college who, um, a UK basketball fan, who I never had to watch SportsCenter the next morning to find out how UK did the night before because he was literally like a walking forecast of UK basketball. He wouldn't shower. He would like wear his pajamas. He'd just be like moping around and be like, UK lost last night. Um, and so it's pretty sad, you know, that that would be that all-consuming. Or maybe for you, maybe, you know, you went to some obscure college and some obscure place that never has done very well. And maybe this year, uh, the college football team, they, they went seven and five. And, you know, they made it to like the, like the Bubba Burger Bowl because there's like 317 bowls that we have to keep up with over the break. And so you're watching that game and, you know, it's this, uh, this pass is for the, you know, it's, it's going to be the, the winning touchdown pass. And this 19-year-old kid who, you know, he got a scholarship 
up to catch a football, drops this football, and you literally, they lose the game and your stomach actually kind of hurts. And you realize, you feel, think about this, emotional pain because a 19-year-old teenager on the other side of the country who you don't know and will never meet dropped a ball. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. So you've got to dig around and say, okay, what are these things that are consuming me that are defining my life? What is life for you? What is idolatry that you have placed ahead of the Lord your God? Okay? And then for others still, maybe you sit here and you're listening to this and it's like, man, I don't care about sports. Uh, I don't have these sins in my life. And maybe you have fallen into kind of a third category where you could just say the sin of pride where you really are like, my marbles are set. Like, I'm good. Um, you know, maybe you have overcome some stuff and that's great, but then you've slipped into this idea of self-righteous pride to which scripture warns us. First John 1, 8 and 10, it says, if we act, if we claim to be without sin, like we've got it all together, and Jesus has plenty to say to those who think they got it all together throughout the gospels. He says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is actually not in us. If we, have claimed, if we claim that we have not sinned, well then we make him, we make Jesus out to be a liar because essentially then he died for nothing, right? And his word is not in us. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you realize you have slipped into a self-righteous, misplaced pride where you think you've got it all figured out and you look down on those who don't have it figured out to the level at which you do. Sin is hiding and creeping everywhere. But here's what we do with that. We look back, we dig it up, we find it, we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it, and we look up from there. We look back, and then we look up, secondly, and we confess that sin. We confess it to God. Uh, we just read 1 John 1, 8, and 10, which talks about the warning of acting as if without sin, but the verse in between that, verse nine, really uh, drives us home. It says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and, moving forward, purify us from all unrighteousness. And so we see the key here, that when it comes to sin in our lives, the goal is not to manage it, the goal is not to get all the marbles in place, the goal is to take it, scrape up whatever we can, the obvious marbles, the, maybe the ones that are hiding, and to offer those up to God in confession and repentance, meaning turning, God help me turn away from these sins, because Ding, 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 we always need to be reminded that the through line of the Christian faith is never gonna be your ability to get it all together, to get it all right. It's impossible. And anytime you think you have, you've fallen into the sit of pride uh, thinking that you've got it worked out. But no, the through line, the common denominator of the Christian faith is God's grace and his forgiveness, which is accessed, not in getting it together for Jesus, but instead offering it up in confession to him. Because sin is not, as we've recognized, a behavior to manage, but instead a matter of the heart to be rooted out. And that's the work that God does, not us. First John 1, 9 again. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. Colossians 3, 10. He will renew us in the knowledge of the image of our creator. Okay? And so, looking back, looking up, we look back, we identify sin. The obvious ones, like in Colossians 3, the idols in our life or maybe the sin of thinking it, we've got it figured out, and so we need to say, hey, search me, God, show me any offensive way within me. From there, 
we confess it. And to help us with that confession, um, there's a prayer that I've been familiar with a long time. It's a great prayer of the Christian faith over, over the years. And maybe depending on your tradition, maybe you're familiar with it. Um, I want to read this to you. And, and it's in the back of your program. Um, it really is this really all-encompassing confession prayer. Uh, it says it this way. Um, it says, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Okay, so that pretty much covers everything there. Uh, by what we have done and what we have left undone. So you might think, okay, I haven't committed any sin, but what have you omitted? What have you failed to do? And it goes on, we have not loved you with all our heart and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And so those are the first two commands. Love God, love others. Um, we fail at those. We truly are sorry and we humbly repent. We wanna turn from that. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will moving forward, walk in your ways moving forward to the glory of your name, amen. So pretty all-encompassing marble gathering and catching and confession prayer as you identify sin, again, the evident ones and the not self-evident ones, and confess that. And then from there, we wanna do what that end of that prayer says. We wanna walk in your ways. We wanna delight in your will. And so as we look forward, the third thing we must do is, you could say, make God more. That in order to root out sin, we need to make God more because it's not a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. And so the way we make God more, as Jesus says, the good man brings the good sword out of the good sword in his heart versus the evil man who brings up evil out of the evil sword in his heart, he says in Luke 6. Um, to illustrate, um, I came across this illustration over the radio, but I think the visual helps. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, I was driving to youth group and I didn't grow up in church, so I'm kind of learning all this stuff. And I was listening to, I liked listening to like Christian preachers on the radio. And there was this guy by the name of uh, Tony Evans, the urban alternative. I don't know if you ever listened to anything like that, but uh, pretty, pretty uh, gifted speaker and communicator. And he always has great illustrations. And this one has stuck with me ever since. And essentially what he said is that when it comes to this whole process of rooting out sin in our lives and moving forward in what God has for us, that um, a lot of times we say, you know, the sin in my life, I've been trying to beat it. I've been trying to manage it. I've been trying to corral its marbles and it's just too strong. It's just too strong. This sin, this temptation in my life, it's just too strong. I try to beat it down. I try to take care of it. It's just too strong. And uh, Tony Evans goes on to say, he says, the problem, and this is the kicker, he says, the problem is not that the sin is too strong. He said, the problem is God is too little. The problem is not that the sin in your life is too strong. The problem is for you is that in your life, God is is too little. And he goes on to encourage how when you give your attention, your energy, your focus, your time, your resources to the things of God in your heart and your mind and your life and your time and in your new year, then God does what God does. He roots out sin from the inside out rather than us trying to manage it on our own. And we give our attention, our energy to God and let God do what only God does. And so that is gonna be really the primary focus of our time next week. Uh, we're gonna look at how does, how does that work. It's very interesting. There's, even the neuroscience backs up how when we give our energy to the things that God has for us, that he, literally he, it's a rewiring of our brain rather than focusing on managing the sin. We focus on God and what he's doing inside of us. Um, so anyway, that's, that's more for next week. But I wanna just kind of close us off with this encouragement because Colossians 3, 10 through 17, the rest of that passage just paints that picture of this is what we have now to look forward to as we put off the old self and put on the new. And so here, this is an encouragement for what this new way looks like, a new thing that God wants to do in your life. Picking up in verse 10. 
but put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of the creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Essentially, he's saying, you've got a new identity. You're not identified by all these other markers. You are identified by a new kind of community as the church. And that's why you know, we talk a lot about growing together and serving together and youth group and being in worship together because it's where we are together in this place that this new kind of community identifies who we are in Christ. It goes, on verse 12 therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with these things compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience and bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord has forgiven you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body as a church you were called to peace and be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And so we'll look forward to unpacking that more here next week. But in the time being, let's let's pray that this would be our reality by the power of the Holy Spirit rather than uh, our work within us. Let's pray together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we are not the authors of our life in the sense that when we look back and we look up and we look forward, we trust that it is your work in us and through us. And so God, um, not a fun topic to talk about looking at sin and and digging that up in our lives, but God, we know the good news of uh, your forgiveness, your purifying us from this unrighteousness that takes place. And so God, help us this week to, um, rather than focus on our sin, focus on how we will make you more and bring your Holy Spirit's work and invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts and our minds and then the living of our lives. Um, And we thank you, God, that that's your power, not our own, that makes it happen. May it be, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, if you're serving communion this morning, we invite you to go and prepare for that now. Um, And really, communion throughout the history of the church has been a time to remember what Jesus Christ has done, uh, but also to recognize what exactly he did that for. We remember that through the bread and the cup, his broken body and his shed blood on the cross that is for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, But it's, uh, again, been a practice throughout the history of the church to get very specific and identify, okay, what are those sins in my life that Christ has spilled his blood and broken his body for? And so in that encouragement, that is we not just remember what Jesus did, but remember very specifically what he did this for, to free us and forgive us of sin and usher in the gift of that new life. I wanna encourage us together to pray. Um, We're gonna pray that prayer that is that all-encompassing, marble-catching prayer uh, here to to really set our hearts towards what he has done for us in communion. And uh, again, that's uh, printed in the back of your program uh, that uh, I encourage you to use as a prayer of confession uh, for your own life in the days ahead. So let's prepare our hearts for communion by confessing together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will 
and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen.